Welcome to the Beck and Siri Show. I'm Beck. I'm Siri. And here at Team Series Tri Club, it's not just about swim, bike, run. It's about who you become. On our show, we don't just talk to you about swimming, cycling, and running. We talk about mindset. We talk about fearless authenticity and being your very best self. Hey, this is Ashley from Team Serious Tri Club. In tonight's live chat, Beck talks about how best to attack a long swim to bike transition, how best to battle windy bike legs, and how to get nutrition in on those windy rides, and also why comparing times and speeds are irrelevant in tough conditions. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. How are you? Welcome to the live chat. We have lots to get through tonight. Very excited to be here. We only have about six more live chats till the end of the year because I'm going to take from the second week of December off until the second week of January because I'm going home to see my amazing family. So we literally have, I would say, maybe six live chats left. Next Monday, we're going to talk about uh, all things related to the off-season, how to train for the off-season. But this live chat, what I thought I would do would be go go through just some of the things um, that were takeaways from Ironman California on the weekend. Ashley, Steve, thanks for the idea. Um, but what we were going to discuss tonight were uh, many things, but part of that includes how to attack um, a long transition from the swim to the bike, um, how to tackle the bike course when it's really, really windy, why uh, speed and time is completely irrelevant especially on a windy course but so many people tell me i average 70 miles an hour but that doesn't mean anything to me thank you annette for pinning i was about to do that what you average on a bike for a long bike and i'm talking to you some of my athletes like morris sutton who comes back and says i average about 12 miles an hour or 70 miles an hour 80 miles an hour it's completely irrelevant unless you're on a calibrated trainer with the same exact calibration every time using the same gears, then perhaps it's kind of relevant. But when you go outside, there's so many anomalies that you just cannot look at speed. It's completely irrelevant. It's even irrelevant outside on the run unless you have the exact same conditions and you're running on a track. Um, obviously, a treadmill, that's, there's very little discrepancy there unless you're using different treadmills because some treadmills are set differently. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about... Um, when I hear an athlete talk about the average speed that they did, especially on the bike, um, it's really, really irrelevant and it doesn't help coaches with your performance or how you're doing. And the fact that you're looking at speed the whole time also I think is a limiting factor because that's not something you should be looking at. It should be cadence all the time. That's about the only thing you can keep consistent unless, of course, it's massive wins and then you can have trouble doing your cadence, but you still want to try and focus on cadence. That's the only thing that you can really, really focus on for the bike. It's a little different. Obviously, in the pool, it's very different. Speed's very relevant. Um, on the run, it's relevant. But again, with the terrain, it doesn't really... If you're at altitude or at an undulating terrain or a hilly terrain or a rocky terrain or lots of corners and switchbacks on your run, you really can't look at speed either. It's pretty irrelevant. But you can definitely on the treadmill and definitely on the pool. In saying that, the pool can change too because some pools can be slightly short. Some pools are faster, deeper, but it's a, the discrepancy is only about, you know, maybe 10% max. Whereas on the bike, it can be a huge difference. As we know, people worrying about their time. It's from Ironman California when there are like 30-mile winds. So your splits just don't really mean anything. And then the run, you're obviously affected by that for the run too. Your run legs are going to be pretty trashed. I tend to run better off a really hard bike. 
Um, but if you're not conditioned to that, and you should be, but if you're not, um, if you're in Team Series Track Club or coached by one of our coaches or on our program, you should be 100% ready for having trashed legs off the bike and being able to run for that. That is purely practice, and the stronger you are on the bike, the less effective you're going to be for the run. Now, I know runners that are three-hour runners, fresh but struggle to run a 3.30 off the bike when it should be very close. If you're a three-hour fresh marathon runner, you should be able to run within three hours 10 at the slowest um, off the bike if you're conditioned to it. So I want to talk about that too. Um, and yeah, just handling your bike um, in windy conditions. That can be a little scary. So I also wanted to touch on that. So hopefully you guys, um, that gives you some insight. I know we have some people on already. I see like six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 viewers, which is awesome. I'm just going to be charging my phone real quick. Um, okay, so the first thing we were going to talk about was uh let's see let me see what my topics were so also write questions up guys if you have those please put them up there um but the third first thing i want to talk about is um long swim to bike transitions long swim to bike transitions so uh long swim to bike transitions hopefully you can still see me um they are difficult and i think sometimes i know we challenge roth they take the run portion from the swim to bike off the run leg so if it's like a 200 meter run they take that point 200 meters off the actual run some people some races don't do that but it makes it kind of tough running i actually like it so i think it gives you time to breathe and relax um but it can be really challenging if it's really really long if you're just wanting to get to the bike and if if, it, if you struggle getting from swim to bike i think that's things you need definitely you need to practice because i don't think very many people practice swim long run to a bike transition but you definitely be first thing you should do is be practicing swim to bike absolutely practicing swim to bike because then if there is a long transition from swim to bike um you're going to be at least used to getting onto the bike um under having all the blood mostly in your upper body and then getting onto the bike legs and one of the great sessions to practice that is going from a really hard time trial swim we used to do it all the time with siri and you would do about two thousand meters um flat out honestly no warm-up it was so hard and then you would get on the bike and you would go flat out for either 20 minutes or you do a minute flat out a minute easy five times then recover do a bit of big gear then go again but the best thing is to do really hard efforts straight out of the swim um, and a 20 minute hard effort out of the swim is a really good way to practice the swim to bike transition it helps amazingly um, so that would help um, i think just thinking about your breathing when you get out of a swim running up to the bike um, a lot of us have quite a bit of anxiety or nervousness which is perfectly normal and you over breathe because you're overthinking so you're over breathing and you're actually going <sighs> breathing in and out really fast and it's exaggerated and you don't really realize you're doing it so I always tell my guys big deep breaths in through the mouth out through the mouth or even in through the nose which is very hard to do when you're under you know I don't really recommend that because it's very hard to breathe in your nose, out your mouth, but in your mouth, out your mouth. So you want to do nice, relaxed breathing, um, going to transition and just really like calm yourself, big, deep breaths. And there's no need to sprint through that because you're not going to lose a lot of time, but you could build up a lot of lactic acid and that might take a little bit to get rid of onto the bike. So um, that was the first thing I wanted to cover. If you have any questions about swim to bike, um, let me know, please. Uh, also... Battling winds on the bike. So how to battle winds. So I'm reading off my notes here behind me. Um, and how to get your nutrition in on the bike. So battling winds on the bike. Whew. So this is really hard if you haven't trained for it. And a lot of my athletes do try to shy away a little bit from riding on the road. And some of you have trouble. 
riding on the road because um, you just can't get on the road because of the traffic or you're literally in an area where you can really ride on the road or uh, you just don't have time for during work days um, because you're working, but you can maybe do it on the weekend. So I would say try not to shy away from riding in the wind, um, especially if you're going to qualify for Kona because that is one hell of a wind and massive gusts. And I heard that Ironman California was extremely windy. I know that some people rode about 30 minutes slower because of the wind. Um, and that's why you don't even ever compare times. Like one of the athletes I know got the best place ever, which is um, top five in her age group, but her time was about an hour slower overall because it's also going to affect your run. Now, if you really worked on the bike and the bricks and your run, you're, no matter how hard the bike is, um, it shouldn't really affect your run. But if there's wind on the run, of course it's going to affect your run. Like it's definitely going to affect your run. So don't ever look at times. Never look at times. And very rarely would I even compare times on the same course because unless it's exactly the same temperature, same humidity or same cold temperature or the exact same wind conditions, the exact same course, which is very, very, very rare, you can't really compare your times um, unless that is the case. Okay, so... Um, but bike handling in wind, the best practice is obviously doing um, riding in the wind and don't shy away from that. You really should practice your handling in the wind. Now, a lot of people sit up because they feel like they have more control, but and then they grab the bars way too tight. And the tighter you hold your handlebars with the grip, um, the more the harder it is to to um, manage your bike. Okay, so technique wise, it's harder to manage your bike. So you kind of want to try and have as easy it's, it's easy to say than do. Really relaxed hands, relaxed grip. Um, and if you have feel like you're getting a speed wobble or being hit by the wind, you can hold, if you're going down a hill, you would hold your knees to the frame. That helps with speed wobbles. But you also want torque on your bike, which means, what that means is, and Michael Lovato taught me this, the more torque you have on your bike, which means the more you're pedaling and have pressure through the pedals, the torque is just really the pressure through the pedal power, that's going to give you less chance of being hit by winds and being moved by winds. And if you're a lighter person with, say, a specialized bike frame, the specialized frames are not good in the wind. Some of those bigger, thicker, more um, more like airplane-looking frames, like the specialized, especially the old-school specialized, like they are horrible in the wind because they you feel the wind a lot more. So if you're a light rider and you're weighing, say, under 160 pounds, um, you're going to get blown around a lot more. So keep the torque in the pedals, relax your hands, and you honestly, as, as much as it feels like you don't have as much control, if you can stay under the wind a little bit by being in aero, that's where your pads being really close together. It doesn't give you much control um, of being in the wind. That's where the top pros, Lionel Sanders and those guys, they obviously are used to it and they can control it. You know, they have really close elbow pads, but have your elbow pads spaced evenly, quite wide, so that you have that, you know, that you can feel that stability and stay low and stay under the wind. Um, so the lower you stay, the less likely you're going to get hit because you're more aerodynamic. But you want to have torque in the pedals and you want to try and stay in your bars when you can. You're, you're almost more stable in them because you're cutting through the wind a bit better. But again, practice makes definitely makes perfect. Um, and the other part that you guys asked about was getting in nutrition. Sorry, I keep looking at my notes. Getting in nutrition. Um, that's where it's so important to have the... I don't have a bottle without any water in it. So that's why it's so important to have your bottle, you guys. I'll show you. Your bottle in the front bars like this with a straw. You should always have the bottle in the front between your handlebars. You don't need any fancy stuff, although we do get 30% off X-Lab, which is the best thing ever. They're aero, they're easy. You can actually put an X-Lab um, aero bottle or any bottle 
and you can use the um, torpedo at the front or literally get a carbon um, uh, bottle holder and zip tie them between your handlebars. Have your, have your nutrition here because you will see, keep sipping on it, right? You want to be have your nutrition as close to you as possible and that's going to force you to keep sipping on the bottle. Um, that's my best advice for nutrition and have the gels. If you've got gels and you don't have it in a bottle, um, have your bottle, like you try and get your bottle on the, the one you're going to use the most on the down tube. That's least likely to, um, get affected by if you take your hand off, but you just can move your hand down to the, to the cage on the bottom. So on the, on the down tube or the seat tube, preferably the down tube. I always have one on my down tube, one between my handlebars and one on the on the back. For Ironman and 70.3 and you're just moving your hand down like that you keep the other hand on the bars and just move one hand to grab the bottle and don't move anything else um, but that's why I think a bottle on the front is so good because trying to get to the bottle at the back when it's really windy is really really hard you may need to make changes during race day you may just be like I can't use that back bottle I'm just going to use the front one just keep changing that out so um, having gels easy like tape to if you know it's gonna be real windy tape the gels all along your your aero bars just tape the gels along there um, that's another way to really stay out of the wind and not get affected but you've got to be conscious of fueling because with the wind you'll feel like you're not sweating or not dehydrating because the wind's evaporating all the um, sweat but you're actually probably almost losing more you lose more because you're working just as hard if not harder in the wind and your adrenaline's up and you may be burning through more calories than you even realize. So it's really important to, to um, consider that as well. Joe Mendoza always has great questions. What do you wear for the bike when it's cold in the morning? Ha, ah, great question. That's pretty easy, you know. Like what I would do is I would have my race kit under my wetsuit, assuming that it's a wetsuit swim. Um, and then I would not wear my arm warmers in my wetsuit because they get wet. I would have arm warmers on the aero bars right either put them on in transition or shove them in the back pocket of your of your cycle uh jacket vest that you're about to put on now the vest is the best idea with arm warmers okay i'm talking if it's doesn't even really matter um if it's really really cold or just a little bit cold because what you can do is you can wear the arm warmers this is a great question you can put the arm warmers actually even easier if you don't want to put them on in transition actually this is i'm going to take that back i will put the arm warmers in the pocket of depending on how technically good you are if it's windy maybe not a good option in the back pocket of a vest you wear a cycling vest that zips up like this and if you're handy practice it and then you can unzip the cycling vest and take it off you can put your arm warmers on if you need them if it's definitely really really cold you put the arm warmers on in transition but then you have the vest you can keep your vest on as you get warmer take the arm warmers off put the arm warmers in the back pocket of your vest then when you take the vest off at the aid station, which you're allowed to, you can dispose of the vest at the aid station and then just yell out to your friend or a volunteer or someone that knows you and say, hey, number 36, I just dropped my vest. Can someone keep it for me, please? Like I usually try to get someone around me or I try to drop it where there is an aid station where there's someone that I know and they will get it back to you, hopefully. But I would wear a cheap vest just in case and cheap arm warmers. But you want like a wind vest and they're the best because they're tight they're aerodynamic the arm warmers are aerodynamic and tight and so you're getting the aerodynamic benefit i have made the mistake of not having that and then in roth it rained it was freezing i froze to death on the bike and i wore a jacket that i was handed from um an aid station because they were giving them to people because people were just dropping out and my jacket was so puffed up from the wind it was so unaero. i lost so much time because it was just flapping in the wind so a jacket isn't the best option unless it's really really tight 
Um, I think the absolute best option is arm warmers. And this is such a great question. Arm warmers and a vest if it's really cold and then you can strip off if you need to and you will stay warm enough if you don't. But don't make the dumb mistake of wearing your arm warmers in the swim under the wetsuit. They're going to get wet and it's going to feel horrible and cold. So, um, and you can have different thickness of arm warmers. If it's semi-cold, you might want the thinner lycra. If it's really cold, you want the thicker. Gloves for sure. If it's really cold, definitely have gloves as well. Um, and you probably want to put them on in transition because you're not going to get them on on the bike. It might be a little hard but full finger gloves and you can throw them too. Some people even put latex gloves on so they can just throw them off. I don't know, because the thing is you may not get them back. Like the problem is sometimes you don't get that stuff back if you don't have someone grabbing it for you. They usually put it in lost and found, but that can be a bit of a nightmare to find, but they do usually do a pretty good job of that. But I would go arm warmers, a vest, definitely gloves to keep your fingers um, warm, but you should really be good with out the gloves if you've got the arm warmers in the vest but I, that's the way to go because they're all stuff you can dispose of pretty easily so joseph i hopefully that helped you um uh, we're going to talk about comparing times now unless there's any more questions um i have so many athletes compare times on courses compare speeds on their bike when they're doing weekend rides and what they averaged um and it's so important not to focus especially on the bike as i said not to focus on speed it's honestly really irrelevant unless you have the exact same ticket conditions the exact same bike the exact same temperature um, every single weekend and you have an idea like of course you compare can compare routes if you have a good route and then you happen to have a tailwind home um, you know you might go a little quicker so you have a good, had a good day and you did like a PR on that course but you have to remember that the conditions are so different it's not really apples to apples in the swim it's pretty similar on the treadmill it's very similar if you have the same treadmill but there's so many things that can, um, you might even have less PSI, like 20 less PSI on your bike because you didn't realize your tire was slightly down. That's going to affect it massively. I remember World Champs as a junior, the year I got silver medal at Junior World Champs in 1998. I had a tube that was had a slight leak in it, and it was a single, and it was leaking, and they decided not to change my wheel because I worried I would freak out. They decided to leave it because they fixed the leak, but it was still only at 80 PSI and they let me ride it the whole world championship with that. And I wondered why my bike legs weren't there. And then afterwards I asked why, what was going on? I felt my tire and I could actually push it down. They said we had to make an executive call whether we change your wheel out or let you ride on 80 PSI. And I thought that was a really dumb decision because that's made a massive difference to, to the speed of my bike leg. But um, I would say comparing like speeds, especially on the bike is, is, is really, almost irrelevant if you're on the trainer 100%, but you should not be looking at speed, you should always be looking at cadence, because cadence is something you can keep relatively the same. On flat courses and undulating courses, we always have our athletes, depending on your size and build and bulk, if you're a really bulky, heavier, taller athlete, or even a short, stocky, really strong, muscular athlete, uh, and this is a serious, Siri Lindley and Brett Sutton type method, and it worked, hey, Daniela Reef, like, what does she won, four world championships? Um, in Hawaii. So um, you want to um, work at about 78 to 80, and then our sweet spot is like 80, 82. And the, have you, uh, you've probably noticed that the girls are starting to get down towards 80 more. They were more at 84. Like Rini's um, perfect execution of Kona the year she won was 84 exactly the whole way. Now she's smaller and less muscular. She can get away with a little higher cadence. Plus she's extremely fit. Someone like Craig Alexander I know is around 84, 86 and he is a much leaner, thinner, taller, not taller, but thinner build. 
but then um, they're also very, 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 very conditioned to be able to do that and extremely fit to run off the bike. So then there's other guys that stomp a little bit more like, not really Kinlay, but some of the guys, I'm trying to think who stomps them, but I think, uh, I'm trying to think, let me know if you think of some, but there are the stompers that do a little bit bigger gear. But for the women specifically, like the women tend to be around 80, 82 and the men 84, maybe 86, but not above that. Like we are not Tour de France riders. We don't want to sit at 90 cadence. If you have a cycling coach, tell them to shut up because 90 cadence is not ideal for triathlon unless you're an ITU racer and you're drafting your butt off and sitting behind a wheel. Um, it's going to work a lot better. It also works on the strength in your legs. And um, yes, Starkey is exactly one of them. Exactly, Megan Newman. Thank you. Andrew Starkovich is a perfect example of the big gear. Michael Lovato was one of them. Um, but the big gear grinding. And, and there's another guy, I could forget a European guy. He sits at about 70. Siri used to sit at 70. Chrissy Wellington used to sit at about 70, 74. So it all depends on how you want to feel. But I would never go above 86. Even 84, I think, is pushing it. And there's so many reasons why. And and a lot of it's to do with um, being able to save the legs, uh, the speed for the for the run, Siri always says. But what she means is when you're at a higher cadence, you're generally going to be working harder and your heart rate's going to be higher if, you, if you're conditioned, right? If you're Sorry, if you're not conditioned, it's worse when you're not conditioned. But when you're conditioned, you might be able to get away a little more. But it's generally going to be a little bit higher. It's not the same in the run. If you have a quicker cadence in the run, shorter stride, your heart rate tends to be a little bit lower. So there's my two cents for cadence. Um, if we have any questions, please put them up because tonight we've covered um, quite a bit on the questions that I saw in regards to windy temperatures, nutrition, um, why not focusing on speed is so important, focusing on cadence. Um, and for run cadence, I would recommend 100, which is 100 right leg strikes, which is really 200 per minute. If you can, now, this is the thing, like I say to Siri, we kind of argue on this a little bit, not 100% on board with her, I always say around 180 to 200, but 180 because some age groupers that are not going to be running a three-hour marathon, trying to do 200 cadence for them is just, just ridiculous because they have no power per step, but they, you do want to shorten your stride to reduce injury and impact and all of that as well. So, um, yeah, I don't see any more questions. Um, hopefully that helped you guys. Um, we touched on a little bit tonight. Next uh, live stream that I'm going to be doing, next big one, will be on Monday. And that is all focused on off-season training, how to train in the off-season, why it's important to train through off-season. I know a lot of athletes tend to take time off, too much time off. And they've built all this amazing fitness in season. And then they have two months off. And then it takes them four months to get back. I think it's insane. Hence why I've got my amazing Megzi on here. She is building, 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 building. And this woman, I tell you, she won't take time off unless she's forced to with freaking knee surgery, open knee surgery. Thank God, touch wood, that went well. But you've got to keep building. Even if you're just moving and doing, sprinting a little bit of strength, a little bit of speed, like she'll tell you too, you've got to keep moving because to come back, like she had to have about four weeks off. It's freaking hard to get back. Like you're going to take four to eight weeks to get back. So you want to be doing off-season training, you guys. You have to be doing off-season training and you have to be including a little bit of speed, a little bit of strength. Um, that's the time to get in the gym and do some strength work as well. Work out what you need, what you need to focus on, where you feel weak and work on that. And Erin Carson has worked with a lot of our athletes. She's amazing. Hugh Darnell in Australia has worked with a lot of our athletes. He's amazing. 
but I am not a strength expert. I'm a sports-specific strength expert when it comes to swim, bike, run, like paddles, band in the pool, any buoy full of water in the pool, incline on the run, hills on the run, big gear on the bike, that sort of stuff. But you still, I think it's a really good time to be doing, and we haven't talked about this a lot in the past, but we are big advocates for doing mobility, stability, and pure heavy strength stuff in the off-season, but you've got to build up to that. Um, and you've got to keep it going. You've got to keep your endurance and your aerobic fitness too. So doing some longer stuff won't hurt if you keep it really easy. Um, for us in Colorado, we're on the trainer. I'm not doing that anymore, but we'd be on the wind trainer for four or five hours. Sometimes I think I did an eight-hour session once um, on the wind trainer just to get the aerobic endurance in the legs, but just spinning it over watching movies. That's the time you can watch a movie and you can look at the TV. You're allowed to. Um, if you're not racing till say, you know, February, March, you can totally get away with that. So... Um, and it's a time to get on your 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 road, your dirt bike, uh, your mountain bike. Um, we always say about three months out, you want to be back on your time trial bike at least three three months out, eight weeks minimum. Um, but it's a time to get on the the dirt bike and have some fun. So, but being careful and mindful that you don't get injured. All right, you guys, I don't see any more questions. Thank you so much. Um, that was fantastic. Thanks for the questions. Um, don't forget. I didn't say this yet, we haven't got the link ready, but if you're watching this now and you're really, really interested, we're gonna have ambassador packages available for anyone and everyone, including my one-on-one -on -one athletes who'll get even more of a discount. We're gonna have a tri-kit, a full year of membership, and a training program. The tri-kit's valued at $250. The year's membership is valued at $444, which is about 700 already. The training program, if you bought it um, through Training Peaks, would be five hundred, but through us, it would be one hundred and fifty to two hundred. So it's about nine hundred dollars value, and we are going to do it for around under four hundred dollars. We're going to get that through for under four hundred dollars. So you're getting a training plan, a race kit, and a year's membership, and it's a custom Team Swiss Tri Club kit. We ask you as an ambassador to wear it in your race, and then you're going to get access to a custom store where you get massive discounts. And the first five people that sign up are going to get a free visor and some other free swag. They're also going to get a free eight-week um, off-season training program worth 99 bucks. So we're going to have that available really soon. If you're really, really, really keen and really, really interested, um, just email Team Series Tri Club. I'm going to put it up here, Team Series Tri Club at gmail.com if you're watching and you're not um, one of the Tri Club members. If you're watching this as a replay on our podcast um, because that's going to be available probably in about the next two weeks at the least. Um, at the most, sorry. And we will take people right through to January and then we'll probably cut it off right in at the start of January and it's going to be unbelievable value. So it's going to be almost $1,000 value. And we're trying to keep the cost really low because we found an amazing company that's going to help us make the kits, just the tri-kits. Um, we're going to work with them and then we're going to have a custom store as well. So, um, And yes, we'll still be using our base um, post that, but this is just for our ambassador program. So this is really exciting. Um, yep. And we will still be doing that too, Megzi, don't worry. We're not going to, we're still going to be doing base, but this is just to get our ambassador program up and running because we want to fulfill orders before January and get that through. Okay, have an amazing, I'm going to try and pin this. Have an amazing evening, you guys. Thank you so much for being on. Um, as you know, you can always DM me um, on my fan page, Rebecca Keat, or email teamseriestriaclub at gmail.com. Um, we're always here. But, yeah, have a great week, and we will see you on next Monday. Okay, bye. Thanks for joining us on the Beck and Siri Show. Be brave, be you, shine on.